Well, um, good morning and welcome to week number three of UPIC. Maybe I'll go back to holding it. Um, first, I have a little bit of a coming attraction to tell you about this morning. We've got just a couple of weeks left of this series in which you've picked the topics for the pulpit. I've prayerfully responded. Uh, if we have any little ones, of course, that uh, need to or want to go back to Children's Church, that's meeting in the back. You can be excused, I think. Uh, I'm not seeing any, so they already know the cue. February of this year, just about two weeks out, uh, excited, wanted to share with you news of a sermon series. We're going to return uh, to an entire book of Scripture. We're going to do that again. This time we're going to be talking through the book of Daniel. And I think we're going to have a blessed time together with this one. Uh, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament has about everything in a book that you could possibly want. Daniel has some great storytelling, uh, some prophecy, mystery, action, drama, even a little bit of comedy, uh, and a lot of the Holy Spirit. So stay tuned for that series. Uh, in your own personal study time at home, I would like to encourage you to get in your Bibles and get reading ahead, maybe to prepare your, your hearts for that series, affectionately referring to this series as the Daniel Sermon Plan. So... There's that. Uh, could, did you expect anything else? So that'll be our spring 2019 series here at Ferris. Take us probably about three months I'm planning to talk through Daniel. So looking forward to that. That's your pulpit update. Um, feeling just a little bit of pain this morning, so bear with me. Uh, we're, uh, we'll get through this. Uh, Satan's not going to cut me down on this one. So... Back to this morning's U-Pick topic. Since the U-Pick topic is losing one salvation, we're canceling the sermon. Gerald, if you'd come forward. He's not coming forward. Didn't work. But uh, maybe this is, I don't know, perhaps the most controversial of the series this year. We'll see. The question is asked, can I lose my salvation? This morning, we're going to be using Scripture. Rich has shared a couple of those with us today. John 8, 31, John 15, 1 to 6. Those verses are on the overhead. We're going to look at those. We're also going to look at 2 Peter 1. That uh, verse is not on the overhead. If you want to get that, if you want to get your Bible, get that verse ready. We're going to look at that as well. Before I jump in, I'd like to share with you a little bit of a a uh, joke I found, uh, stole from the internet. This is about a guy who loses his car keys. And I thought it'd be a nice way to break the ice this morning. Uh, this joke is given in the first person, so I'm going to play the part of the individual. This is not me, although losing my car keys is a conundrum with, with which I'm familiar. Some of you uh, can attest to that. Some, some of you are already smiling about that. Um, but maybe you're familiar with this too, and you can, you can join in the, in, in the misery. The routine goes like this. I, I came out of a meeting one day. I began looking for my car keys. They weren't in my pocket, so I turned back to the meeting room. And, I, you know, of course, I found no keys there either. Suddenly it dawned on me that I must have left the keys in the car. And my wife, this actually, we break the fourth wall here because in reality, my, this is in the joke, but my wife actually has gotten after me for doing that before, for leaving the keys in the ignition. Uh, back to the joke. Her theory goes, if you leave your keys in the ignition, the car could be stolen. 
My theory goes like this. The ignition is the best place not to lose your car keys. <laughs> On this particular occasion, running back out to the parking lot, I came to the terrifying conclusion. My wife was right about something. So, uh, you know, Gabriel can blow the horn now. Uh, man said it. Parking lot was empty, so I grabbed my cell phone. I began dialing the police. I gave the police my location, car number, description of the place where I parked the car. I confessed to them that I'd left my keys in the car and that it had been stolen. And I made the most dreaded phone call of all to the wife. I stammered, Becky, I left my keys in the car and it's been stolen. After a period of silence in which I thought the call had been dropped, I heard my wife's voice, Josh. I dropped you off at the meeting place, don't you remember? <laughs> Now's my turn to be silent. She's laughing. She's like, this isn't a joke. You didn't steal this off the internet. This is real life. Feeling embarrassed, I said, well, well, come and get me. She shouted again, I will, just as soon as I manage to convince the police that I've not stolen your car. The stolen car keys joke. Hope you enjoyed it. But with that in mind, we're, we're, we're now going to talk about the answer to the question, can I lose my salvation? And before we get into the discussion, before we look at these scriptures, friends, I, I'd like to give you some peace of mind today. We're not talking about losing your car keys. We're not talking about just misplacing something. Um, we sang this song a little bit ago, and we, we want to keep that at the forefront of our minds today. A soul who rests in Jesus Christ isn't going to misplace, uh-oh, what did I do with the one who offers us blessed assurance? So keep that in mind this morning as we, as we talk through these scriptures. L let's jump to the short answer. The short answer to the question, can I lose my salvation, is this yes. Yes, it is, if. And this little word, two letters, I if, I if today. It sounds like a little word, but it's actually the biggest two-letter answer you could imagine. Uh, we could have titled the message this morning, If. Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, has not only told us the terms by which we come to him, but it's also important to remember that there are terms by which we stay at his side. There are terms. We Christians make an active choice to remain following Jesus. That makes sense, doesn't it? These terms are consistent with what has always been for God's people. Cover to cover, that's never changed. The idea of choice, we've always had it. But before we talk about how we, we fall away from the Christian faith, if you will, let's talk about where that faith begins for us. Where it all begins, because that's important. Before I know, how can I lose my salvation? First, I have to know how I'm saved. Where does this begin? There's a lot of confusion. A lot of churches teach different things about this. We've spoken many times, uh, nearly every week, when it comes time for invitation. We talk about where the church originated, at what point in Scripture, the second chapter of Acts. The Holy Spirit spoke through Peter on the day of Pentecost. On this day, it was a couple thousand years ago, Peter told the believing Jews in Acts 2.38 what? To repent and be baptized. 
It's for the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This was a big day. This was an important occasion. At this time, no longer would the people of God be required to practice their faith in temple ritual, in keeping of the law. Moving forward, God himself would be with his people. Jesus had fulfilled the law. No longer were the people of God required to uh, show this faith by shedding the blood of animals for sin atonement. We talked about that earlier. On the cross at Calvary, Jesus once and all, all took care for the sin problem. The sin problem which caused our separation from God in the first place. Salvation was offered freely because of the cross. So anyone who wanted to be part of this people, this people of God, from this day forward, wanted to become Christians, merely had to accept the gift of salvation offered at the cross, believing, confessing the name of Jesus, repenting of their sins, being baptized into Jesus. Second chapter of Acts, verse 38. This was, we might think of it as the new dis dispensation. This was Christianity 101, and it was a much better deal than God's people having to measure up to Old Testament law, wasn't it? We couldn't do that. We couldn't keep the law. At the point of baptism into Jesus Christ, these believers were now considered part of, of Christ's church. We know this. We talk about this almost every week. This is the good news. But what would happen? We may wonder, what would happen if these people, these new Christians, God's people, they'd believed and they'd done these things. They'd confessed Jesus, repented. They'd been baptized into him. They'd received forgiveness. They'd received the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? What would happen to these people who decided that after all this mercy and grace extended to them, that they liked the sin part better than the son part? What would happen? You know, if they desired separation rather than communion with their God, that they preferred faithlessness over faithfulness, that they'd rather turn back to their old ways rather than conform to the cross. What would happen if they, so to speak, lost their souls to gain the world again? Well, the same thing would happen to these Christians, these people of God after the time of Jesus that happened to the people of God before the time of Jesus. They would no longer be the people of God, right? Makes sense? They could indeed choose to lose the gift they'd once freely accepted. Now, there are some theologians or some churches or some teachers that would say, well, they were never really Christians in the first place. They didn't fall away. They didn't lose anything. They just revealed who in their hearts they truly were. And I don't want to argue this morning, you know, by turning away from God, of course, it would reveal a sin problem in the hearts of those that got away. But we can't say a Christian who has fallen away from Christianity was never really Christian in the first place. The Bible doesn't ever say that. In fact, such a thing goes completely against uh, the biblical principle found in the book of Genesis, that man and woman are people made in God's image, and therefore we're capable of making our own decisions. Once saved, always saved theology basically turns God's creation of man into one big puppet show. Now, I like the occasional puppet show, but I don't want to live in one. 
Saying a Christian who's fallen away from Christianity was never really a Christian in the first place is like saying Adam in the garden was never really perfect at creation. He was always actually a sinner who just hadn't made good on a sin problem yet. It doesn't really work, does it? Can I lose my salvation? Can I fall away from God? It's conditional. The answer is if. The answer is if. Because remember, the once faithful Adam and Eve were given one condition. They chose the fallen condition. They made a decision. The Bible tells us in the beginning, Adam was made by God to be perfect. Adam sinned. God didn't force it upon Adam. Adam chose to sin. And because he, he did this, sin entered the world, causing death, causing a separation from God. Romans chapter 5, verse 21, or excuse me, verse 12. We made a conscious decision to fall away from God then, and we can make a conscious decision to fall away from God today. Jesus takes away our sin, sure, but not our ability to make choices, not our ability to choose. Do you understand how this works? It's important for us to note, as early as we can in our faith journey, that just as it was for those first Christians at Pentecost, once we follow this Acts 2.38 principle, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of our journey. It's a journey. It's a faith journey. After we've done these things, after we've accepted the gift of salvation, this blessed assurance that we sang about hangs upon this thing called obedience. That's cover to cover biblical. We're in the territory of the if. Just as, if, just as it was for the Christians of the first century and every congregation that followed, these are the terms which have been established. We can choose to follow God, and we choose whether or not we continue following God. Jesus says this in John 8, 31. Gives us this condition. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Why not, uh, folks, read that out loud with me this morning. Read that scripture. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Jesus is saying being a Christ follower doesn't depend on who you think you are or who you think you are. Did I say that twice? Who you are or who you think you are. That's what I meant to say. Being a Christ follower doesn't even really depend on what you know when you were baptized or ultimately anything that was done in the Jewish temple or can be done in a modern church building because it's not you that does the saving. It's Jesus. And even baptism, by the way, the word meaning immersion, it doesn't mean anything else. The word baptism, even the act of baptism, is just getting wet without the right motive. But Jesus says you, you will show that you were one of mine if... If can mean on one condition, on one condition, an expression. We, we can even find this in the dictionary, meaning up, only upon doing or accepting a specified thing. Uh, if such and such a, a thing doesn't happen, such and such will take place. We hear politicians, President Trump, President Obama, say statements like this all the time, make statements like this. If on one condition, said by presidents, kings, we've heard it uttered by a parent or two, right? Maybe we don't want to talk about those stories. If you don't clean your room, etc., etc., we hear this expression often on one condition has biblical precedent. And God's people have always come down to acknowledging this little word if. King Jesus uses it in John 8 31. If you abide in my word. Now, for the Jews before the time of Christ, it was Mosaic law. For Christians, it is Jesus Himself. If you do so, you are the people of God. 
So all of God's people in the Old Testament who they seek reconciliation in the temple with sacrifices, they were coming to God conditionally. They were coming in the faith, abiding in him. And all of God's people who have had reconciliation through Jesus in his New Testament sacrifice have come to God conditionally in the faith through Jesus. You know, it's terrifying to me that some churches would actively teach, uh, you know, what theologians call uh, a Calvinist doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Maybe I'm getting too technical this morning. But it's so important for us to remember that people of God's grace have always had the option of keeping or discarding said grace. Look at this. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. We could flip this statement around, and what does it say? If you don't abide in my word, you are falsely my disciples, right? Or you aren't truly my disciples. And we know there are plenty of false disciples, right? Jesus also says in Revelation 2.10, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What happens if we flip that around? Inversely, be faithless unto death, and I won't give you the crown of life. You see how this works? It's conditional. God's people follow God. I think because we know the gift of salvation has been provided to us by the blood of Christ, there's a temptation to get prideful or, or maybe lazy. I think that sometimes we think his grace means that I'm forgiven so I can do what I want. You know, we, we uh, sing along with a song on the, on the radio once about Jesus taking the wheel and think that must mean Jesus has taken us completely out of the car altogether. We have no control over this vehicle anymore. But remember Eden. There's always a choice. It is clearly possible for the faithful to stop believing, to stop following, to cease to be Christians in the biblical sense of the word. But maybe you're thinking, well, I failed to see where this verse, John 8, 31, says anything about the faithful becoming the faithless. It doesn't mention this word. It doesn't say anything about ex-Christian. So, so how, where do we get from where this is saying, Jesus is saying what happens to us if we don't abide in him? Turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 to the first six verses. And as the scripture we just read is, uh, Jesus is talking to those that follow, to Christians, so does this text as well. People that are already in the faith. And Jesus is using an illustration here in John 15 to show what happens to believers who choose not to remain faithful in him. He knows who he's talking to. Jesus says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Uh, Rich used the translation earlier, remain in me. It's another good way of thinking of it. Uh, Jesus goes on, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it, is the, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So Jesus says in verse 2 to his followers, If you're one of my branches, you'll bear fruit in accordance with me. Verse 3, do we get that? 
It's going to happen. You can't be my follower unless you actually follow who I am and what I say and what I do. Verse 4. You follow me? Do this. And Jesus says again in verses 5 and 6, If you're attached to me, you'll do as I have done. You'll follow me. You'll be an extension of who I am. It's going to happen. In verses 2 and 6, it's kind of, a, kind of a bomb here that gets dropped on us. It's so important that we note this. Look, look with me closely. God will take away every branch. Now, they, they've been an extension of Jesus. There's no question that they've at one point been his. But God will take away every branch or every believer that does not bear fruit. Verse 2. Verse 6, God will throw out all who are not bearing fruit, all do not, all who do not look like Jesus, all who are not actually following him. He's not talking about the lost here. These branches are the people who no longer belong to Jesus. Big bomb. God's going to cut them down. So the Greek here for throw literally means thrown outside. Again, at one point, the believer in question was covered by the grace of God in Jesus, but now they're thrown outside into the fire and burned. Wow, I think we know what he's getting at here. This is the fate of every person who claims to be Christian and yet refuses to actually follow Jesus. Wow. This may not be the most popular theology nowadays. It may not be the kind of thing a lot of preachers want to tell you from the pulpit, but it's the Bible truth. Jesus also says in Matthew 7, 21, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Sounds like there's going to be some surprises on Judgment Day, doesn't it? This is aimed at his followers. Is it possible taking this one step further? Some of us may be more distant from our God than we care to admit. That's the scary part. C.S. Lewis wrote, The cold and self-righteous person who goes to church may be far nearer to hell than he realizes. I think sometimes we've got it all figured out. I know I'm guilty of this. Uh, uh, I know who's faithful and who's faithless, right? But Jesus says in John 15, The faithful look like me, the faithless don't. The faithful abide in my word, the faithless don't. The faithful are branches of who I am, and they bear good spiritual fruit. The faithless don't. And there's an if here for each and every one of us. We don't ever want to think, I'm good with God. I'm golden. No matter what, remember the if. Turn with me uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 in your Bibles, if you've got them, Andy. Again, who's Paul talking to here? He's talking to the church. The gospel received by them saves them if they, quote, 1 Corinthians 15, right there at the beginning of the chapter, if they hold fast to the word preached to them unless they believed in vain. So Paul recognizes that they've been believers. Paul doesn't say unless you were never really Christians in the first place when you founded that church there in Corinth. He doesn't say that. He calls them brothers. He acknowledges the danger of Christians ignoring the charge to continue holding fast to Jesus. Now, I won't ask you to jump around, but he says something similar to, to almost every single one of these uh, churches in Scripture, so you can't just say it was that one. Paul also writes to the church in Colossians, uh, chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, again, to believers, and he says to this church that Christ has, quote, 
reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present them holy and blameless and above reproach before him if, conditional, if they, quote, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Paul is saying again to this church, you've made a decision to become the church, continue the decision to remain the church by remaining in Christ. If the ball's in our court. In Galatians 5.4, another church, Paul says this to these Christians. Galatians 5.4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. And he uses these exact words, fallen away from grace, to refer to one specific group. These are uh, backsliders, these uh, Judaizers, we call them. Uh, this is what's happened to them. So it's so important, friends, that we don't let anyone try to convince us that we can't fall away from the throne of God, that we can't lose the grace given to our people, because God says if. But you know what? I, I say thank God for that. Thank God for that if, right? I mean, if we were truly once saved and always saved, as, as Jack Cottrell writes, it would be a deceitful, a cruel ploy indeed to be motivated by a scriptural threat called hell that could never actually occur, wouldn't it? If we were guaranteed in with the Lord regardless of what we do, wouldn't it uh, indeed make us a cold and self-righteous people? I'm reminded of those Pharisees. They thought they were good and golden right we have that attitude today years ago i i, I worked uh, i worked with an extremely gruff and and often cranky individual who oddly enough was also studying for ministry and that's a bad combination don't recommend it it was well known at work that that this person you know knew it all sounds like a good time doesn't it uh, this was an individual that had all the answers and, and you had none, and it made for a less than spectacular combination for his reputation as a believer. At the time, I was in a, in a customer service position, and this person was my supervisor. <laughs> One day, he was in a, a less than cranky mood, and, and I actually felt comfortable having an exchange of conversation about something. Uh, we, we'd hit theology. Among our differences, the man believed strongly that it wasn't possible to be an ex-Christian. And he was convinced of this. He even told me one day, you know, it's just not possible to lose your salvation. And as the words were coming out of his mouth and, and more were, were following, he was growing more agitated and aggressive in tone. And the monologue ended with a bit of a crash like this. You can't lose your salvation because the Holy Spirit comes in and changes you and makes you humble like Jesus. And I was too scared to question him about it that day. It's like, yep, that's you. And I wasn't qualified then, and I'm not qualified now to judge the man's heart. He could have been having a bad day or, or decade. Seminary is hard. <laughs> but I know for myself, if I thought I was good with God no matter what I did, I have a feeling it would make me very humble like Jesus. If I thought that once I got saved, the spiritual fruit that I had uh, had bear no influence on whether the Father would prune me or take me away, I'd wither away like a cold, lifeless tree branch too. I promise. Why bother? One of the chosen. 
can't fall. But the if of John 8, 31 and other places is important. It's important. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, let's look there quickly, please. This is the following to tell us about our Christian walk and salvation. And I want to mention all these verses today uh, to sort of help you. If you're taking notes and you've got these verses at your side, uh, again, there's, there's definitely some different teachings on this topic. So let's be armed with the word. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 11 says this. This is such an important verse for us to hang on to. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the question here isn't, can I lose my salvation? But I'm saved. What am I doing about it? Where do I go from here? The Bible says you truly are what you claim to be by what you do for who you belong. Now, Christianity isn't about working your way to heaven. The blood of Jesus on the cross is what gets you there. But there's an if. There is an if. Christian songwriter uh, Keith Green once wrote about Christ's parable. The only difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and didn't do. Amen. I can tell you from experience that I spent a few years of my life, maybe you've heard me talk about this, uh, spent a good period of my life acknowledging that there's a God but refusing to do the do. I didn't care about abiding in Jesus, but when I came back to the faith, I began to acknowledge the if. If you've been faithful to the Lord since you began that journey, keep at it. But if you've gotten off course, if you've not been allowing uh, the vine dresser to work on you, not allowing his spirit to bear fruit through you, I encourage you to let him work on you. But here's the good news today, along with the good news we know. Being weary on your walk today doesn't mean you've lost, lost your way. You know, we're going to stumble from time to time. We're going to have seasons of doubt, and it doesn't mean you're a lost cause. The psalmist is written in Psalm 80, there's, there's restoration for parts of the vine that cry out for the, for the vine dresser. Uh, Psalm 80, verse 19, is a cool verse on this. But here's the thing, what, what breaks the heart of the vine dresser is to see the previous harvest now willfully heading for the burn pile. Writer of the Hebrews talks about that in chapter 6. And you know, it's also been said that the sad reality for, for some of us is that this is the closest to heaven we'll ever know. Some of us sit in the pews on Sunday. But I've got another verse I'd like to turn your attention to. Uh, I think I can mention, some of you may know this, it's actually a favorite of George's. I've heard him quote it word for word before. I should have George come up and read this real quick, but, but I'll do it. It's from the, from the book of Jude. Chapter 1, verse 24, and I'm going to even read the King James this morning. It promises this. He is able, uh, the Lord, not George, the Lord, he is able to keep us from falling and to present us faith faultless, excuse me, to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And that's another promise we have from Scripture so we can rest easy in his yoke because Jesus is able to keep us from falling if, of course, that would be our choice. It's your call. 
Reminded of a sign I saw a few years ago hanging on the inside of a fast food counter. Uh, the sign faced the staff. It contained a message of encouragement, I'm assuming for rush hour each day. Uh, sign read in permanent marker, you got this. It's written in big letters. And underneath of it, someone had added the following, hang on. You got this, hang on. So friends, when it comes to our faith as the author or finisher of it, Jesus He's got it. He's got this. We're not going to misplace him like a set of car keys, but we can decide whether we're going to press on in glory or turn around in shame from a relationship with the divine. Remember, think back to the day of Pentecost. Peter never ended his time of invitation by saying, brothers, there's nothing you can do. It's already been decided. Salvation is completely God's choice. But he acknowledged the if. And that begins when we come running home to Jesus until he comes back to take us home forever. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, I, I thank you this morning that you made us. I thank you, Lord, that you you have a plan and it involves us. Lord, we're, we're just, we're blown away this morning by the fact that we're made in your image and, and we're too given the, the opportunity to play a part in what you're doing in the grand plan, the big design. If, of course, we want a part of it. Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to truly live, live as Christians every day. Lord, that we wouldn't just assume that because we know some things about you, Lord, that we wouldn't just assume that because we have the right theology, that we wouldn't just assume that we've ticked all the boxes on a checklist. that we're good. But that we would remember that we are called to be holy. We are called to be obedient. And that you're watching for our fruit. Lord, I pray that we would be mindful. That we would take a look at your word, see what you look like. That this would be our goal. Lord, every day we, we make the choice whether we want to be conformed to that same image of Jesus or we want to run like the world. Lord, I just pray that as we go out into this world, we would, we would choose grace, that we would show it in all that we do so that others would want to get, get on board with it as well. I thank you, Lord, that, that you are able to keep us and preserve us. Lord, I pray that we would be assured in that, that uh, we're not just going to turn around and lose you one day. 
that you you have not left us to, as as orphans that you'd promised that that you would come to us and if we're in you we have your promise we have your spirit convict us every day lord of the areas of our lives that need that help need that assistance need to be turned over to you I thank you for your great sacrifice on the cross. I thank you for the blood that, that covers us in each and every way. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to be faithful until you, you return for us. May you find your children faithful. It is in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. It's all about choice every day. And we've talked about some big ones. May we never forget that uh, he knows what's best. He knows what's best for us each and every day of our lives. But he hasn't left us alone to make that decision. Today, if you have not made that decision to confirm his promises by accepting his spirit, by coming forward, going into those waters of baptism, beginning that journey, we invite you to come forward. Or if you have another uh, decision to make, maybe you haven't been letting the, the vine dresser work on you. Maybe you've gotten away or you've, had, you've experienced a season of doubt. You just want to rededicate yourself to Jesus Christ and his work. If you have a public decision you'd like to make today, we invite you to stand and come forward as uh, Brother Gerald comes to receive. Come home running. Jesus is the only one that can get us there. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?